This is the Christian Life Center weekly podcast. Visit us online at MissoulaChurch.com. I hope will springboard you into the, the weeks and the months to come in your life and in your walk with the Lord. And uh, I want to start with this way, just a, a, a definition of this word legacy. Uh, we hear it all the time. You probably could define it yourself. But let me give you the academic uh, meaning of legacy. Legacy simply means this, what people remember once we're gone. What people remember once we're gone, legacy. And, and, it, and I want to say it's okay to want to be Remembered. It's okay. We all want to matter. We all want our lives to be significant, and it's okay to want to be remembered. However, I think there's a, there are promises that God gives us that ensures us that I think coincide with legacy in the sense that God will bless our lives when we live generous lives and we live, when we live a life that is for other people. And so I want to uh, launch a few weeks. We're going to call this series just simply this. It's just simply called Promise. We're gonna talk about some of the promises that God gives us throughout his word. And some of us don't like promises, right? Because we've been scarred by promises. Where like someone has promised us something or someone that get, said, I promise to do this. And then they didn't keep the promise. And you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really know about that whole promises thing. But I wanna encourage you, especially when it comes to the Bible, promises are good. And promises can be trusted. And I want to start this series. I want to launch this today. What I think is probably crucial. Uh, yes, it's going to be a little surgical into our own lives, but I think it's so important. If we're going to talk about promises, this is a great platform to leap us to. Um, so much of our anxiety, so much of our fears uh, that we experience, and so much of our worries in life really come down to the unknown. No one really likes the unknown, right? Uh, I hear it all the time. People come to me and like, hey, you know, pastor, I've heard this reports that the economy is going to die. I mean, it's going to explode. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I think if COVID has taught us anything, that the church still can survive in the midst of controversy. Uh, they say, oh, look at the political climate. Look at all the things happening. Hey, pastor, Fox News said, so it must be right. Uh, so... Um, but all these things, and it's, it all surrounds around this idea of like the unknown. What's going to happen? What, what are we going to see happen? And, and I want to encourage us, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. You're like, you don't know what's going to happen at work tomorrow. You don't know, well, we don't know what the economy is going to do or what's going to happen in our relationship, what could possibly happen with our health. Um, and we just, we just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I want to let you know in life, even though there are a lot of things that you don't know, there are some things that we do know, and it is found in the word of God. Like that is a promise, that is a surety. The word of God is full of promises. And God is not a man, God is not human, that he should lie or change his mind. And if God said it, uh, he's going to do it. And, and, and he doesn't break his promises. And so when we know the promises of God, when we are sure of them, it causes us to rest easy. It causes peace to walk into our lives. So, so, so we don't wanna, today we wanna, we wanna talk about what are the promises that we, you and I can build our lives upon because God promised us some pretty amazing things. And if you have kids or if you've had kids, I'm sure you've had your kids argue with you before on certain things where they said, you promised, like you promised we could go to McDonald's. You promised I would get this or I would get that. 
And, and I, think, I think God loves it when you and I take his promises back to him and say, you promised. I think God loves that. I think he welcomes that. And he's faithful to, to, fill, to fulfill that which he has promised. So today's promise without exaggeration, I think can seriously help you in your life today and in your life to come. It can help you, I think, with some of your deepest uh, issues, your deepest pains. Uh, it helps you in the middle of, of confusion and doubt. Today's promise helps us when we're questioning or we're in need or maybe we're fear or filled with uncertainty. And those times when maybe you don't know um, which way to go or what to even believe, I think this promise will help you. Romans 8.28 says this, and, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, when you read that, all things work together for those who love God. Notice it didn't say, and, and, and not, it didn't say, and we hope things work together for God. It didn't say, and we wish, or um, we think they'll work together. It says this, we know that what? Help me. All things work together for good. I mean, aren't you so glad that it didn't say 50% of things work together for good? I mean, aren't you glad it didn't say 70% of things work together for good? Or it didn't even say 99.99% works together for good. It said all things work together for good to those who love God. And then it goes on and finishes with this, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the promise of this. I want to talk to you on the topic of not wasted. In other words, I believe that God promises that says nothing about your life and nothing about what he wants to do in your life is wasted. Nothing. A promise that nothing that God is doing for us and has done for us is wasted. It's so important, guys. Listen, when we read this passage, that we read it the right, the right way. Like, like that we don't mess up the words. Like it annoys me when I'm like singing a song, like we're in the car and I get one word wrong. And like my wife or my kids are like, that's not how it goes. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry, lyric police. You know, you messed that up. And then I reply, it's my version. It's the way I want it. And I think it's very important that we don't have our version of the Bible though. We don't have our own version because the words in the Bible matter. You can't just sing it the way you want to sing it. And that's why it was, it was, it was inner, uh, very important uh, that we understand that because here's a great example, right? It says that in the scripture, all things work together for good. Here's what it doesn't say. All things are good. It doesn't say all things are good. And if you don't know the difference between all things work together for good and all things are good, you're gonna start looking at bad things like they are good things. And the people that you and I are meant to encourage, the people that you and I are supposed to engage the Bible with, you know what? They're gonna end up uh, thinking, well, you know, the Bible, you're like we, we go up to people and say, hey, don't you, don't you know the Bible? It, it's all good. And how many, I just wanna encourage you, I know this is crazy, but I don't think that's helpful, nor do I think it's, biblical. When we tell others, well, it's all good, not only are we discouraging them, but we instill in them a dissociation between them and the love of God. Because we, our empathy gets reflected on the Lord. 
Like, like in other words, so if, if you don't, so when someone come and talk to me and I'm like, well, hey, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. I think sometimes when we have that mentality, it almost says, well, that someone looks back and says, well, if you don't care what I'm going through, then God must not care what I'm going through. And it's very important that you, that you don't talk to yourself that way. Well, it's all good. I don't know if you ever met someone who is just like overly optimistic. Like, like there's optimistic people and I love that, but then there's some who are just overly optimistic. Like they're always happy. They're like, like always bright. Everything's perfect. Life is, I mean, it could be like the sky could be falling. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. Life's good. And I'm like, I'm like sometimes you need to be worried. And, and the fact that you're not worried is worrying me, right? Like you're on fire right now. You're burning. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. No, 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 no. You need to stop, drop and roll quickly. You can't be that optimistic. It's not all good. And if you begin to tell yourself that, I think you create a dissociation between you and God. Because you know, because we ultimately know we're lying to ourselves. And if you know that you're lying to yourself, it's only a matter of time before you think God is lying to you. It's not all good. And the Bible doesn't say that it's all good. What the Bible says is that all things work together for good. And that is entirely different message for us this morning. And surely we wonder like through the things in life, can God use me? Uh, Can God take my past? Can he take my hurts? Can he take my failure? Can he take my current situation and use it for good? And so this morning, I wanna show you a quick illustration on how this works, right? How the Bible puts this all together. And and so this morning on this table, I, I I have five different ingredients and each one of these ingredients by themselves are not good. They're just not good. So this morning I have salt. <laughs> How many know salt on eggs is good? But a spoonful of salt by itself? <sighs> you know I love you, right? I only do this because I love you. Oh gosh. Wow. <laughs> that is not good. Wow. I need some water. That's not good. This didn't happen in the first service. All right. Not good. Salt, right? Yeah, it went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> I told you I loved you. How many know, like, a little bit of salt goes a long way? Too much makes things salty. And I don't know if you know this about life, but some things in life um, have the ability to make you salty. Like too many things, too many disappointments have a way to making things really, really salty. And then, I'm gonna try this again, sugar. Now, when you think of sugar, when I say sugar, you're like, sugar is good. It's really good. Because you can put sugar in your cafe, which is Spanish for coffee, 
Or you could put it in your tea and it's really good. It's perfect, right? But what I do know is a spoonful of sugar does not make the medicine go down. It really doesn't, right? It really doesn't. So here we go. I don't know if you've ever had like raw sugar like that. It's not good. <laughs> like <laughs> by itself, like it's just not good. It's bland. Like it's terrible. How many know that life can be full of things that are just bland? In other words, life can also be full of promises, things that promise you, hey, this looks good. And because it looks good, it will be good. Like, like if the more money I have, things will be perfect. You know, the more friends I have, the more materials I have, things will be perfect in my life. And yet we find those things to make us bland. Oh, Cinnamon. Yeah. <coughs> cinnamon. How many of you know cinnamon on oatmeal is awesome? It's really, really good. But, <coughs> wow, that is bad. <coughs> I can't believe I did that twice. Wow. If you've ever had cinnamon by itself, it burns. Wow. I had people telling me after the first service, don't do that. You will die if you eat cinnamon. So don't do this at home. The, 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 the funny thing is, is this. How many know that life has the ability to burn us? There's things that scar our lives that have the ability to make us cynical, that get us to a place where we um, don't want to forgive that things that burn us, that cause us to give up. I was in a discussion this week where someone just ran to meet them and they said, the church has hurt me. There's a burn there that's happened in their lives. And then there's chocolate. Chocolate, right? And I think about chocolate, you think, well, chocolate is sweet. I mean, chocolate is good. But here's the, in case you don't know this, the only reason chocolate is good and sweet is because it's mixed with sugar. But this is not that chocolate. This is Baker's chocolate. And Baker's chocolate doesn't have sugar. So if you eat this chocolate, you will know it. Here we go. <coughs> Bad. Wow. I don't know if you got, don't go home and eat this. This is not good. Wow. You know what it is? Oh, it's bitter. It's like really, really bitter. How many know life is full of bitter moments? Bitter moments, like family hurts, friend hurts, church hurts. And, and you have to be careful because when the, that bitterness hits you, it's like one of those things you could just never seem to get out of your mouth. It's like it's always there. I remember being a, Wow, a young youth pastor, and, and I'm like 23 years old, and my first position, and the pastor's going to a new church. He wants to take my wife and I with us to follow him to this new church, and larger church, larger established youth ministry. And I remember this leader in our district at a youth camp saying to me, hey, 
that church, that youth group is too big for you. You won't be able to handle that. You're too young for that. I have a smaller church and a smaller community that would probably fit you better. And I was like, talk to the hand, right? To the hand. But I, I went to the other, I followed my pastor and we had a successful, God used us tremendously. But I'm telling you right now, those words still bitter me. Like they still even motivate me today in ministry. I hear those words and I'm like, you're not good enough. You can't accomplish that. And I, it still haunts me today. It still calls me. It's just a bitterness that happens. And then there's flour. I ain't even going to eat that. So I'm not done with that. Like I think of flour, right? I'm, I, 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 because here's the reason why I'm not going to eat it. Because you know what? Flour is raw. Like, like raw flour can actually get you sick if you eat it. This will kill you. This will make, this will make you sick. But like, how many know life is full of raw pains? Like circumstances that you and I were not ready for. Like the loss of a, the, the loss of a loved one, the unexpected tragedy, the unexpected hurts, the, the abandonment you might feel, the disappointments that come. And those are absolutely raw moments that happen in our life. So what I've realized that each one of these by themselves, not good, not good, really not good, not good, not good, right? Yet, hear me church, somehow, if you took all of these ingredients, if you took all these ingredients together and you mix them all together, like if you got the right person, right? With the right skill set, with the right gifts, like a Judy Owens and somebody like that. And you take, and, and you put, get that person all of a sudden, what was salty, uh, what was bland, what was burning spicy, what was bitter, what was raw. You put all those together and guess what you get? Come on, y'all. Chocolate chip cookies. Like you take all those terribly by themselves ingredients and you put them all together in the right hands, in the right person's grip, and you put them all together. Guess what happens? It turns into something amazing. And something good. Can I encourage you today? That's the God you serve. Like he can take all of your individual mess and make something great out of it. Like he is the great, great, great chef. The master chef. Here's what I love about God, right? He can take all my hurts. He can take your hurts. He can take our pains. He can take all of our frustrations, all of our disappointments. And he is this great baker who adds life to it, who adds life to your pain, who adds life to your hurts, who adds purpose to your fears, who adds meaning to your doubts and your frustrations, right? Anything and everything you need, God can put it all together. In fact, the Bible even describes him this way. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life that brings it all together. That's what I love about God. He's able to do that. Anything you need, God takes it you through a process. He takes you through that process because if you trust in him and you submit to him, guess what? He can make it great. That one day you're gonna sit back and go, oh man, all my hurts and pains turned into this. You're gonna sit back and eat on it. I'm not gonna eat it because I'm fasting, but you know, I mean, I, 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 somebody else can eat it. But anyway, you're just munching on this great thing. Everything is great. You're gonna sit back and say, wow, isn't this good? Life is so good. But on that day, when you sit back 
and you say life is good, I hope you rebuke yourself because life isn't good, God is good. Life isn't good, God is good. Life was salty, life was bland, life was burning and spicy, life was bitter, life was raw. Life isn't good, God is good. Then God took it, he brought it all together, he put it and he made something really beautiful out of it. Life isn't good, God is good. God's the one who puts it all together. God is the one who makes it work for us. We don't arrive by ourselves. It's because of his grace. It's because of his mercy. It's because of his goodness. And, 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 if, the, and if, if, if it's those things that bring us all together, if things are being thrown at you right now in your life or things are gonna be thrown at you this year, hear me, God's a good chef. You're not on your own. He doesn't just use some of you. I love this. He uses all, nothing wasted. There's no, no part that he goes, well, I'm gonna throw that part away. I can't use that part. I can't use that part. I'll just use this part. No, God takes every part, puts it together and says, I can use the whole. I can use the whole thing. Nothing about them is going to be wasted. If there's an ingredient in your life, it's because he's using it. If there's something in your life that you feel salty or bitter, maybe God is using it because he knows exactly what you need to get you where he wants you to go. It's like he's mixing it all together. He knows what your child needs to come back to God and he's mixing it together. He knows what your marriage needs to bring and your family needs and he's mixing it all together. He knows what you need to stop questioning him and to, to, to submit to the process and surrender to him. And God has a way of mixing it all together so that he can create something beautiful and not just beautiful, but useful. And he knows the process he needs to get you through, to get you to the place where he wants you to be. So I'm encouraging us today, we gotta trust the master chef. You gotta trust the bread of life. So quick, quickly, I'll, I'll fly through these. I wanna give you three things that I feel like God wants me to tell you this morning as I sat down and I talked about what are we launching in this whole promises that God wants to give us. And I, I, I wanna give you three things that I think um, for 2024 that will help you experience the promises of God. Let me give you this first one. You have to understand that your skills, your efforts are not being wasted. Your skills and your efforts are not being wasted. I don't know if you ever feel like you're in a place or you're living a life that, that God has not called you to. I don't know if you ever feel like maybe there's a gap between what you do and, and what your dreams are. I don't know if you've ever feel like you're not living up to the potential of your potential. Maybe you don't feel appreciated enough at work or at home or in your family. Like maybe your mantra is like my skills and my efforts and my energy is unappreciated and, and, and being wasted. Let me introduce you to a familiar Old Testament pillar character uh, if you don't know him, but a quick part of his life, his name was Joseph. And jo Joseph, we hear, see his life throughout Genesis, but Genesis chapter uh, 37 tells us this story where Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my, my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. So Joseph has this dream of greatness, but on the way to greatness, like the dream didn't just happen. On the way to greatness, he became a slave. He became a butler. He became a prisoner. 
And I wanna encourage you, if you have a dream, I honestly 100% believe that God can get you there one day. He can get you to where he wants you. But hear me, you might not be pleased with the path that it takes to get you there. You might not be pleased with it. Joseph ends up getting there, right? He ends up being the second in command of all of Egypt. His dream comes to pass. But hear me this morning, my question for you to think about is this. Does he get there? Does he get to that place despite the demeaning work? Or does he get there because of it? In other words, where, does, where do all, were all the things that he had to endure, were, were all those things hindrances or speed bumps? Or were all those things escalators and elevators? I think because in order to lead a nation, you've, you've got to be able to serve other people and, and not think about yourself. And what better place to learn than as a slave? Like in order to be in politics, which is what Joseph was, second in command, you have to understand drama. There's a lot of drama involved in politics. What better place to learn that than at Potiphar's house? If you don't know the story, he was a butler at Potiphar's house. And if you don't know that story, there was a lot of drama at Potiphar's house. And if you're gonna lead a nation, you gotta be able to be organized. You gotta be able to work shifts. You gotta be able to see the big picture. And I'm just thinking, I'm just wondering if that was just maybe some of his responsibilities was when he was in charge of the prison as a prisoner. Are you seeing it this morning? Like, let me, I wrote this way, let me encourage you, your skills and your efforts are not being wasted, they're being honed. You know what it means to, to hone something? It means to sharpen it. It means to make it better. It means to improve on something. It's, the best way I can describe it, it's like the Daniel son and Mr. Miyagi, right? Anybody know Karate Kid? Okay, if you're too young, Cobra Kai, you know what I'm talking about, right? Cobra Kai, wax on, wax off, right? This is the whole story. I mean, David said to Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi, I wanna teach me how to do karate. I wanna learn how to do karate. And, and what does Mr. Miyagi do? He say, gives him a rag, gives him a paintbrush. He gives him sandpaper, wax on, wax off, right? And Daniel's son was so mad. Like, why are you, why are you teaching me to clean? Like, I'm, I'm just doing your work for you. I, I, I didn't sign up for this. Finally, Mr. Miyagi says, throws a punch at him. And all that, out of nowhere, Daniel says, like, Phew. He's looking at his hands. Hey, baby, wax on, wax off. Paint the floor, paint the fence, right? He's like, what just happened here? He's like shocked. He didn't know, but the master knew. The master knew everything that he was going through. Everything that he was going through was not torture. It was not uh, discipline. It was not punishment. It didn't mean that he was less or that you're less. It was actually preparation for what was to come. It was destiny. It was building him up to get him where he wanted to him to go. And sometimes we think, God, I'm ready. I'm tired of going through pain. I'm tired of going through waiting. I'm tired of all that. I'm ready, God, for what you have. I'm ready now. And you know how I know you're not ready? Because you think you're ready. Because you think you're ready. Sometimes we think we have it all together. There's no way I'm vulnerable. I'm ready for this. I can do this. Hear me this morning, which is why I would say this. Your skills and efforts are not being wasted. You're being humbled. You're being humbled. Sometimes God does not have to put, God has to put us in a season where the focus is not on us. We, we have you in a pit. Like if my brothers come to me and said, hey, you're gonna bow down to me. I'm like, yeah, back off, Jack, right? I'm not bowing down to you. Unless you are looking for attention. 
And I learned something about Joseph when I study him. God can't use people who need attention because when he gives it, they'll take it. They'll take it. And really, everything that happens in our life all belongs to God. Let me get a second real quick. If we're gonna experience the promises of God, maybe we need to take a step and realize nothing's wasted. And here's one, your time was not wasted. No matter how, what age you're in, or we all have those times in life where we think, have I accomplished anything? Have I done anything? Did I miss the opportunities in my life? You know, I, I, I love the 20-year-old who's like, I'm just, my life's just flying away. I got, I've missed everything. What? <laughs> Moses was 100% in that place. Get this, zero to 40 years old, he's in the palace. If you know the life of Moses. And the whole time he's in the Egyptian palace, he is unknowingly preparing to deliver his people. 40 years of building relationship and developing himself. One day, all comes crashing down. One day when he makes this bad decision and he kills an Egyptian who was torturing an Israelite. And immediately from that moment at 40 years old, because of that, he goes from living in the palace to a fugitive. Everything he built for 40 years is gone because of one bad moment. I just wonder if you've ever experienced that in your life, where one bad decision, one bad moment caused everything to come crumbling down. I had built something and then it was lost. And I wonder if Moses ever looked back through those 40 years and thought to himself, man, what, what, what a waste. I spent 40 years in the palace. What a, what a waste of time. And it doesn't get any better for him because from 40 to 80 years old, we find him in those times as a fugitive, he becomes a shepherd in the wilderness, nobody watching, cold. I'm sure he's cold. I'm sure he's hungry. I'm sure he's smelly. He's all alone. And you have to wonder, were there times as he's sitting there for 40 years that he looked back and said, what a waste. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Some of you in the room today, man, you're doing Christianity or you have done Christianity. You're reading your Bible. You're, you're going to church and uh, you're making right decisions. Or you're giving your money. And does it ever creep into you where you're just sitting and going, man, what a waste. What a waste of time this is. But was it though? Like, was it? Because when I look at the life of Moses, when I look back at Moses' life, I see some things that happened from zero to 40 and 40 to 80 that prepared him for what he was going to happen in his life at 80. In order to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians, it would require a knowledge of how Egyptian government works. I don't know, where would you find that knowledge of how the royal palace works? How about growing up in the royal palace? Was it a waste? Like, you look, he's about to lead a million people through the wilderness, a million rebellious wandering people. If only you could have 40 years of practice with a species of creatures that wander and rebel. Like if only you had 40 years of practice fighting wild animals, learning how to live off the land. Oh, wait a minute, wait. You were a shepherd for 40 years. You were a shepherd walking a flock through the very, get this, the very same wilderness that a million Israelites are about to walk through. So we don't think about this. We don't even talk about this that much, but Moses knew the wilderness that he was about to walk through. He knew the shortcuts. 
He knew where the specific water holes were. He knew uh, the rougher terrain. He knew what plants to eat, what plants not to eat. He knew where the dangerous animals hang out. Yes, God was protecting them, but they were also led by someone who knew the wilderness because he spent time in the wilderness. Moses was so arrogant at 40 when he killed an Egyptian, uh, he didn't even think twice about it. But when God finally calls him, when God finally calls him to his destiny at 80 years old, he says this, right? This is Moses' response to God. Please don't call me. I stutter, just a stutter. Don't use me, God. I don't know about you, but it sounds like in that 40 years of wilderness, it sounds to me like that Moses got humbled, that he got humbled. In 80 years, he received a royal education, a family, a wife, kids. He received a leadership uh, training. He received shepherding skills and humility. And all Moses could think about is what he lost, wasted. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down because I think this will help you. I wrote this way. Never let what time took take away what time gave. Never let what time took take away what time gave. Like I've, I've given so much to my church. I've given so much to my family and to my job and, and to my marriage. And what, 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 but what did you get? Yeah, it was effort. It was time, but was it wasted? I mean, what did you get? Maybe you got a knowledge of Christ. Maybe you got kids or grandkids. Maybe you got stability. Maybe you got relation. Maybe you got memories. Never let what time took take away from what time gave. And with that mentality, we underestimate the power of God. So look what happens to Moses at 80 years old, right? Exodus says this way, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that and the bush, saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight and why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. At 80 years old, I've read this story so many times, but I never knew this studying the Exodus story. And if you grew up in church, I hope this blows your mind like it blew mine. He's 80. The bush gets caught on fire. He's about to set the people free from Egypt. You know, the whole Red Sea parting and the plagues that come on all the people. And, and my question to you is how much time from, from the fiery bush burning to when the Red Sea split and the people walked into freedom? Mind you, Moses has been born with the purpose to deliver from the very beginning, with the purpose to deliver his people from Egypt. He wanted to deliver them from, that, from Egypt the moment he realized he was a Hebrew. And now years and years and years have gone by. He's 80 years old. And when you do the math and you count the plagues and this happened on this days and this happened for this many days and you add up that days from the burning bush to the Red Sea, assuming that Moses went straight from the burning bush back to Egypt, now, not all theologians are on consensus of the timetable, but the most popular theological theory based on the study, you know how long it took from when he had the burning bush experience to when he, the Red Sea parting and they're walking through, and how long it took? 40 days. 40 days. Burning bush to crossing the Red Sea, 40 days. So 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days to walk out. I don't know about you, it's so like God. Like to do in 40 days what Moses could not do in 40 years. It's almost like God is showing off. Can I encourage you this for your life? 
hear me this morning. Just because it didn't happen instantly and it's not happening concurrently doesn't mean it can't happen suddenly. Suddenly. You and I can't give up. Maybe you've been waiting for something. Maybe you've been hoping for something. Maybe you've been patient for something. Maybe you've been believing for something and it seems like a waste of time. Can I remind you that we serve a suddenly God? That he can suddenly show up in your life. The Bible says the Israelites walked, marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days, but it was on that seventh time that they began to, to lift up worship to the Lord. Nobody had a plan, but God knew that the moment that the worship went up, boom, immediately, the walls came down. The, the word literally in the Bible in the scripture says, suddenly the walls came down. Because our God can take you into a new territory suddenly. And I wanna encourage somebody who feels like you're in a holy pattern this morning. It's not happening for you. You have to understand how God works. Just one moment, one encounter, one worship experience in four minutes, what you've been trying to do in four years, God can make happen suddenly. Suddenly in your life, provision in a minute, healing in a minute, marriage and relationships restored in a minute, anxiety and depression healed, gone in a minute, your business thriving in a minute. God can make the miraculous happen suddenly. All you do for him, it's not wasted time. It's not wasted. Now I wanted to encourage you with this one last thought, not instantly, but suddenly. There's a difference. Not instantly, but suddenly, some of us love and expect God to be an instantly God. Like an instant God says this, I do this and then God does this. I act this way and God acts this way. I give this and God gives that. Hear me, instantly is not in the Bible, but he said suddenly. Instantly is about me and what I want. Suddenly is about God and what God wants. God will do it when he's ready because he'll know when you're ready. The last one I want to give you this morning is this. I think for us to, to leap into the promises of God, we have to understand that nothing about us is wasted. But one of the deep ones that we have to understand this morning is your pain is not wasted. Your pain is not wasted. We all go through certain, certain things in life. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not in pain today, but, but maybe you have pain. Or at some point in your life, we're probably gonna walk through pain. We all go through pain. And many times in the midst of that, we're like, how could those things be good? Like God says, all things work together for good. How could they be good? The pain we carry through life, the unexpected, the disappointing, the hurtful, and whether physically or internally, we weep. We weep. Whether it's physical, whether it's in your own spirit, we weep and we, we, we weep with questions like, well, why God? Why am I experiencing this? Why did I walk through this? Can I tell you something about your physical or eternal tears? Did you know that your tears never hit the ground? They never hit the ground. That's what my Bible says. Here's what God says about us who've cried. Look at what it says in Psalms 56. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. See, sometimes I think we read things 
And we have to realize that your pain is not in vain. That God has an ultimate purpose for what it is that you will or have walked through. And you know, you read scriptures like this, and you're like, okay, let me put this together. And that's why we do crazy illustrations here today, because I think sometimes those illustrations commute, or communicate to us. So let, let me illustrate it for you a little bit this way. You have, we have fear, in the, and Psalms remind us that he collects them. So God says your tears never hit the ground. They never hit the ground. It's almost like he collects them in a jug. He's been collecting them all along. Like maybe for you, he's been collecting the tears of your childhood. Certain things you walked through, you've been through. I, I think God collects all the tears. Like the times you scraped your knee and you cried, it's collected in this bottle. The time that I was on my new bike at five years old with training wheels, I think that's what they're called, and an older kid pushed me and I fell and I fell through the ditch and hit a metal culvert and they went like this and sliced me up my leg. It hurt, just so you know. And guess what? I cried. I think God collects those tears, right? Maybe, maybe for you, it's like, hey, grief, the unexpected, the unexpected loss, the unexpected disappointments. Like, I don't know if it ever goes away but yet God still collects those things. He stores them up for us. Maybe, maybe for you, it's been a relationship you've had that's gone bad. Could be so many things and, and you've cried and you've wept over that. And God says, well, I collect them. I've stored them up. They're in this bottle all the way. And then, and then maybe, maybe, maybe for some of us, just simply, I'm just anger. I hold resentment. Fear has overcome my life. And it just causes pain and tears and weeping. And then God collects it all. He puts it all together. And you read the scripture like that, and you're like, wow, that, I don't really quite understand. I mean, he put all these things together. The question is why? Why would God store them up? Why would he keep them? Why would he put them in this book all along? Well, I think in order to understand the why, you have to read a little farther down. You have to read a little more into the Bible. Look what Psalms 126 verse five says. Those who sow in tears will reap in shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap in shouts of joy. So it's like this, it's almost like God says, okay, like I got this, this sowing box for you. Right? And this is like fresh soil. Seeds are under the ground. It's, it's all here. It's waiting for you. And, and so here's what we're going to do. So you know why I've saved these in the bottle? You know why I've collected your tears? So that you know what? We can plant them. We can sow them in. The things that you experience in your pain, boy, they sow into your life and they cause something to grow in its place. Man, the, the, the grief that you have experienced, the tears that have been collected, you know what they do? Man, well, I sow them in, not only for yourself, but for others around you so that you can see the goodness of God inside your life. You can see God operating, but not just you, the world around you. They sow those tears in and go what life comes in its place. Man, you're gonna ask yourself, why God, why did I have to go through pain and relationships and disappointments and whatever that might be? And God's like, you know why? Because I wanna sow those tears 
I wanna sow it. I want you to see my promises are yes and amen. I want you to see that as I, you pour these things out, joy will come in your life and you're gonna see my provision. You're gonna see my promises. They're gonna be leading you and they're gonna be guiding you. Same with, I mean, let's just go on. Same with your fear and your angers or whatever that might be. God says, look, and I, you might, why do I have those? Well, God's like, look, I wanna sow it back so that you can stand on the promises of God and you will know that God is with you. How many know this? Here's what I want you to get this morning. Your pain turns into purpose. Those tears are collected for a purpose. God uses our pains to water our lives so that we can see his goodness, his faithfulness. God uses our pain so he can water the lives of others so we can point everyone to really how good God really is. God uses our pain to water our soul. And every pain we go through, right? I love this. Every pain we go through is a setup for God to do something cool. It's a setup for God to do something absolutely 100% amazing. Every season that you walk through, every season of life, every painful moment in your life, God's got a bottle in heaven ready to pour it out. There's a story in the Bible. It's an amazing, amazing story. When we cry, I just think we're not weeping. We are watering. See, let me just say this to you, a great example. We have a widow's group that meets here at CLC. And here's what's awesome about this widow's group. It's not led by like a licensed counselor. You know what it's led by? Another widow understands I'm pouring out my tears on others. Like God's given purpose to my life and to what I've walked through. When we cry, we're not just weeping, we're watering seeds. Your pain turns into an offering. It turns into an offering, not a financial offering, but an offering to God. It turns into worship. An amazing worship says, God, in the midst of my pain, I still worship you because I know there's purpose behind the pain. Listen to this great, you might know this story, but in Luke 7, it talks about this woman. This is what it says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured out perfume on them. And maybe you've heard this story, but every time I read this story, I I feel like the perfume gets all the credit. The perfume gets all the credit and rightfully so, because the Bible says that the the alabaster jar cost one year of wages. But there was something, hear me church, there was something more expensive poured out on Jesus' feet that night. Something more expensive. There was a liquid of more value that was poured out on Jesus' feet that night. And it wasn't the perfume, it was her tears. It was her tears. Because the alabaster cost her one year of work. But how many know the tears cost her a lifetime of pain? lifetime of not living a life that is pleasing to God, a lifetime of hurt and sorrow. And I'm just saying that today, she didn't have to give Jesus that. She could have just said, you know, what most of us do and just say, you know what, I got this. I can handle this. I'm good. I'll try to work this out on my own. 
You hear me? I remember when I was a little kid, we were attending the Baptist church. I'm a little kid and we would act up in the pew. And I remember my mom would reach over and she would pinch us and turn it like that. And it hurt. But not only did she, immediately as she pinched us because we were acting up, she would, in her ventriloquist voice, say, don't you cry, don't you cry, don't you dare cry. She didn't want anybody to know that she had just punished us and that we're crying in the middle of church because it hurt. Can I remind you something? That's not what God does to us. God says, bring me your tears. Bring me your hurt. Bring me your sorrow. Bring me your pain. Culture says man up, women up. Says wipe your tears, be strong, be independent, be tough. Don't be emotional. The woman did not care how emotional she would be perceived. She said, I want to bring everything to God. I want to bring everything to God. The most valued thing that I can give God tonight is my life. The most valuable thing I can give God is my tears and my pain. And I give it to you as an offering of worship. Lord, I give you my pain as an offering. I give you permission to sow it into my life. Sow it into the life of others. I give you permission. I wonder this morning if any of us would give God permission to take our lives, to take our pain, to take our question, our doubts, to take our bitterness and our burnt places, our rawness, to take our salty areas. Would we give him permission to say, God, I give permission to re-sow it into my life. I give you permission to do something different than you've ever done before. I'm gonna follow you in the midst of, of my doubt and my hurts, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my physical pain, my mental pain. And I give you permission, God, to sow it back into my life, to allow me to live at a different platform than I've ever lived before. Allow it to sow back into my life so that I can be example, like we sing about, I can be a witness to how good God is. I close with this scripture and we'll worship. Psalms 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. And what Paul is writing here, he says, oh God, you will not despise. What he's basically saying is, Lord, if we come before him like the woman does and we bow down on our knees and we say, God, I'm broken, Here's my tears, here's my pain, here's my contrite heart. What it says there is that God will not despise. In other words, God's not gonna leave us there. The master chef will take the pieces, put them together. He promises to put them together and raise you to a whole other level so that you can find your destiny and the dreams that God has for you. Lord, today we worship you, we thank you. I pray God that you have us come before you with a broken heart, a contrite heart, a broken spirit, knowing that our God does not just leave us there broken. He does not despise, but he puts us back together again. I pray that in this room, men and women, young and old, would say, God, I wanna, I wanna sow back all my pains, all my hurts, all my disappointments, all my doubts and fears. I wanna sow them back to you, God, knowing that you can bring life, can bring purpose, meaning, and more than anything else, God, you can bring promises that you are with us. You're not going to leave us or forsake us, that you will sustain us, that you will walk with us, 
that you'll be a light unto our feet, that you'll be a lamp, Lord, to our path, that we know exactly where we're going. And I pray that today in Jesus' name. Can we take one minute? Can we just worship the Lord for a moment? And then we'll dismiss. Lord, I just want to make this moment, take a moment right where you're sitting to say, God, I just want to be a witness for you. Lord, I sew back everything, my fears, my doubts, my, my unexpected, my unrealized dreams, I give back to you, God, and allow you to put it all back together the way that you have created me to be and to do. Let's worship you. I witnessed your faithfulness. I've seen you breathe love within So disappointments, the bitterness, the saltiness has really dictated how you perceive God and how you live for God. And you, you need to just change that and surrender it to the Lord today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you right where you are, not to embarrass you, but if that's you, I want to pray for you. So real quick, if that's you, would you just put your hand up again? I want to know who I'm praying for. Just let me know who I'm praying for. Anybody at all? Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Lots of people. You're not alone. Lord, help us today uh, to commit everything to you. Uh, disappointments, hurts, pains, go down the list, God. Confusion, doubt. Uh, we just deposit it. We sow it back. Say, God, I'm going to release this and uh, I'm going to sow it and allow the promises of the Lord to restore me to a place where like, hey, God is good. He works all things to good. He works all things for good for those who love him. So, Lord, today I pray for those who raise their hand today. Let Lord, right, even where we're sitting in this audience, right where they're standing, they can just say, hey, God, would you, would you come into my life? Uh, I sow it back to you, and I allow you to be Lord. I allow you to speak to me clearly. Lord, allow me to see your promises, and let me see your hand working in every area of my life, and I will submit myself to you. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we've had to be together this morning. Lord, may your hand be upon us. In Jesus' name.
before you walk out this morning, I, I want to make this offer to you, uh, uh, Pastor Matt. Uh, I know um, Andy and Carol are here, uh, Pastor Steve. Um, if you want prayer today, they're just going to be off to the side here. And if you're just like, I just want someone to pray with me. We don't always do this, but you just feel like I just need someone to pray specifically for me. They're going to be on the sides. You can just walk over and grab one of them and they'll be happy to pray with you. Uh, we want to make sure you have that opportunity. If you just feel like you need some, some personal prayer this morning, they're here for you for that. And so I want to make that available. Lord, uh, pray your blessing upon your people. May your face shine upon them. May you prosper. May we go out this new year, uh, Lord, ex expecting and, and desiring the promises of God to be active in our lives. And uh, we know they're good. We know that you are not human, that you would lie or change your mind. So, Lord, let us be sure of this one thing, that our God who is for us, he is not against us. And we're thankful for it. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. And go Grizz, right? All right. Hey, thank you for being here today. Head home quickly so you can catch the game. This is the Christian Life Center weekly podcast. Visit us online at missoulachurch.com.